If you would like to borrow a Bible this morning, the ushers will bring you a Bible so you can follow along and track where we're going. And you can just raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you a Bible, and you just leave it in the pew when you're done. When we start the new year, we're going to have uh, some baptisms on January the 15th. So if you have not been baptized, you're a believer, you'd like to be baptized, let us know. We'll get you set up to be baptized in the new year. This year we are not going to have a Christmas Eve service because we are having a, a service on Christmas Day. We will be here back next week at the same time. And I'm, I'm just curious because, you know, it's interesting. Uh, most churches around Christmas, they, they can't, they just, this, this is the biggest attendance days of the year. As you can tell, that's not the case for us. Most of the people in our church during the holidays go to where their families are and they split all around the world. But I'm just curious. We're going to have church here next week. And I just want to see just a tentative show of hands for RSVP next week. Come on, humor me. All right, good. That's good. That's good. Look forward to seeing you back here. I'm going to hold you to it. So, well, we are, we've been going through the book of Matthew. And we are in Matthew 22, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Or in Matthew 22. And as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, there are common themes and images you may have heard applied to Christ um, throughout his, his life. And one of those titles is the title, Son of David. And what does that mean? Jesus is the Son of David. Is it talking about just um, he's a mere descendant of David? Or is it talking about something else. And what we're going to have here in this passage in Matthew 22, 41 through 46, is a, is a short little interchange between Jesus and the religious leaders over this title, Son of David. Because leading up to this point, the leaders have been bombarding Jesus with all these questions that he's, he's answered magnificently. And now he turns the tables and he asks them a question concerning the Son of David. So let's all stand. And I'm going to read this short passage to you. Matthew 22, starting in verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. You may be seated. What Jesus seems to be saying is that he is not only the son of David, but he is also the son of God. He's not just a, a mere descendant of David. He's also the divine Lord. And since he is the divine Lord, as he's going to be arguing here, that means he demands allegiance and full submission, not only from the religious leaders asking him these questions, but he also demands allegiance and full submission from us. 
but I don't think we have a, a really a problem in here. I mean, I, I'm, maybe some of you are investigating Jesus right now, and that's great. But most of you in here agree, I think, that Jesus is, is divine. He, he's God. He's the Son of God, right? And, and since he is, he is Lord. So we have, these, we have other issues than the Pharisees are having right now. But I would say that if he is Lord, we want to make careful that we understand what that means. Because we, we are not just the people who make theological affirmations that Jesus is the Son of God without the practical implications. What I'm saying is that we don't want to just be this confessional people that have the right doctrine, but we also want to be a missional people who actually believe it, live in it, and act it out and follow Jesus on his mission in this world. So we want to have the, the right theology and the right actions. And so since we are here today lifting up Jesus as Lord, the question I have for you that we're going to carry throughout is this. If he is Lord, are there any adjustments that you need to make in your life in submission to the Lordship of Christ? If he is Lord, which we proclaim that he is, are there any adjustments that you need to make in your life to submit to him as Lord? And to get you thinking about this, I'm going to tell you a tale of two roofs. I'm sure you've seen the children's book called The Two Roofs. No, you haven't. I'm just making this up. But this is the story of the two roofs. I got a new roof put, put on my house four to five years ago. It looked great. And it was, looked good. But the problem with this new roof is that the vents leaked. When it would snow, the snow would blow into the vents and start to fill up my attic. I didn't enjoy that. You go up, up there during the snowstorm and there's snow all in the attic. You're like, what is the deal? I just got a new roof. And so we had to call someone out and they said, aha, uh-huh, these vents are put on wrong. And so the person had to make adjustments, fix the vents, and now it looks great and there's no more snow in the attic. That's the first roof. Now, the second roof is my garage roof. And unfortunately, when I got the roof put on my house, I decided not to spend extra money to do the garage roof. Recently, I went into my garage and noticed that rain was coming through. And in fact, I could look from inside up through the roof and see the sky. That's not good. You don't want to see the sky from inside. And so what, what does anybody in our church do who has roof problems? That's right. They call Jerry Klinkner. So I called Jerry Klinkner and I said, Jerry, come over here. My, my roof's leaking. Can you help me? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Anything. I don't know how to do anything. So we got up on some ladders and we repaired this one foot long strip and we, we patched it up. I mean, the shingles don't match, but who cares, right? It's a garage roof, okay? And it's all patched up and it's working great. But, but it's just a patch job. That rest of that roof is a junker. It's going to have to come off eventually. But for now, it's a patch job. And so the reason why I'm telling you this tale is I'm really trying to get you to think about your life. Some of you are, are functioning your life like we deal with that garage. You're, you're just doing a patch job. 
you, you, you're just like, I'm patching this up here, I'm patching this up here, I'm patching this up. And what really needs to happen in your life is an entire overhaul. The whole thing's got to come off. There needs to be an overhaul in your life. And what I'm hoping today, as we lift up the Lordship of Christ, you'll see him in all his glory. You'll want to submit to him and say, okay, Jesus, do the overhaul that I need. But most of you don't need the overhaul. You've heard hundreds of sermons in here on lordship, and you're submitting to me every time, right? Most of you don't need the overhaul, but, but you need to make some adjustments in your life because like my good roof, some of you have some leaks right now. There are some areas in your life that you have been neglecting, and since you've been neglecting them for so long, you're starting to see that things look a little leaky in your life. You've got some issues right now. And you know this happens if you ever have kids and you ignore them for long enough, spiritually, discipline-wise, eventually something's going to look ugly there. Or if you, you're, you're in a marriage and you're ignore, ignoring your spouse long enough, eventually something's going to come up. And the same thing can happen with your health. The same thing can happen in, in any type of relationships. The same thing can happen in your finance that you can be ignoring these things and your life can be leaking right now. And so what I'm going to say to you is as we lift up the lordship of Jesus Christ today, may you make those adjustments of repentance and trust and inviting Christ in to just deal with these things. I don't, I don't expect you to be the one that comes down front that's crying for the complete overhaul. You just need to make these adjustments and deal with these issues before they get out of hand. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to lift up the Lordship of Christ. Some of you need to have the overhaul, but most of you just need to make these adjustments. So let's just go into the text and see what Jesus has to say about his Lordship. Verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. Now, this is, this is great. You've got to really get this. When we say the word Christ... We also mean the word Messiah. The Messiah was a person that Israel was waiting for. They were all pumped up about. He was going to come in, and he was going to redeem them from Roman oppression. He was going to return the Jewish people to the word of God, and he was going to usher in this age of, of prosperity and blessing. And everybody knew this, and so Jesus says to them, tell me about the Messiah. Who do you think he is? In fact, whose son do you think he is? He's like luring them in. And so... Without much thought, the leaders give the most prominent Sunday school answer of the day. Verse 42. They said to him, the son of David. Everybody knew that the Messiah was going to be a son of David. Everybody knew the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David. He was going to be a king like David. And he was going to come in as this warrior king. He was going to conquer the enemies of God. He would even have the power to heal. And he would work all these miracles. But in their mind, the Messiah, the son of David, the Christ, would only be human. Now, I don't know if you ever use this Messiah language in your life. It, it gets thrown around a lot in our culture, uh, most of the time in jest. Uh, you can think about right now, the, the Denver Broncos quarterback, Tim Tebow, is being called the Messiah with regard to the, uh, 
the, 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 um, leading the Denver Broncos as a quarterback. I think they were like one in four. He comes in, and he's like on a tear. He's just helping them win all these games. And, pe- and people are starting to, uh, some of them are even getting some distasteful gear of Tim Tebow, referring to him as Messiah. Let me put this up for you. This is just a taste. Uh, Jesus, Tim Tebow, it's his number. And underneath that, it says the Mile High Messiah. They're referring to him as the one who's come to rescue the Denver Broncos and lead them into the promised land of making the playoffs and winning the Super Bowl, if you can believe that. Now, Tebow, a very committed uh, Christian, would definitely say, no way. I am not the Messiah. I am just a man. I'm just here doing my job, and we're having fun. I'm not the Messiah. But get this. Jesus, he takes the title on. He says, okay. I am the son of David. I'll take that title. But then he says, but let me go a little bit further. You have it right, but not right enough. And so watch what Jesus does. This is great. Look at verse 43. This is cool. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Hmm, this is good. So he's making a reference to Psalm 110 verse 1. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls one of his descendants Lord. So, got that? So, I want you to look very closely at verse 44. We'll kind of just look at it slowly. The Lord said to my Lord, this is David talking, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So, just look at the text. So, who is the first Lord? That's, that's God the Father. Who is the second Lord? Well, that's the descendant from David. That's the Messiah. That's the Son of God. So God the Father said to the Messiah, the Son of God, sit at my right hand. So the Messiah is to sit at the Father's right hand, which is a place of prominence, authority, and honor. The great uh, Martin Luther, he, he he said, sit at my right hand. He didn't say, sit at my feet. He didn't say, sit over my head. He said, sit right here, equal with me, which makes the Messiah, the descendant, the Son of God, divine. Keep going. Look at it again. So the Messiah was to sit there until I, which is the Father, put your, the Messiah's, enemies under your feet. So Jesus, he is this exalted Lord at the right hand of the Father, and not only is he exalted, but he's exalted over his enemies. They're like, what are you getting at here, Jesus? Well, let's keep going. He quotes Psalm 45 for a reason. Look at verse, I mean, sorry, Psalm 110 for a reason. Look at verse 45. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? It's almost like a a little trick question. So if he's his Lord, how is he his son? And here's, here's what the religious leaders say. Nothing. They don't know the answer to that question. Look at verse 46. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. They cannot answer him. They, they cannot answer him. But guess what? You can answer. Like if I picked one of you at random and brought you up here, you could answer the question. And what's the answer? You're like, excuse me, what's the question again? Right? What, what, what was the question? Well, the question is, is this. If the Messiah is a descendant of David, in his line, how can David call one of his descendants Lord? How can he do that? Here's the answer. Because 
the Messiah is divine. That's how I can call him Lord. The descendant of David, David's son, one of his descendants, is David's Lord because he is the Son of God. See, David is going to have a descendant who is going to be a king, and the reason why the king is Lord because he's going to have a, a kingdom that lasts forever. And how can you have a kingdom that lasts forever if you're dead? Well, it's because he's not dead. He, is, he was dead. Buried, rose again, and now exalted as reigning Lord with a kingdom that will never end. And so that is how David can call one of his descendants Lord. Romans chapter 1, let me put this up for you. Verses 3 through 4 says something very similar. Concerning his son, that would be Jesus, who was descendant from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's what the religious leaders did. They rejected Jesus. They rejected him as the Messiah. They rejected him as Lord. They rejected him as the Son of God. But you, my brothers and sisters, most of you who are following Christ... You don't reject Jesus. So I'm not going to go off on you here the same way Jesus would go off on the Pharisees and religious leaders because you welcome his reign into your life. You say, Jesus, you are my Lord. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Like if he really is Lord over our lives, what, what does that mean? Is it okay? Theological affirmation? No, it also means missional living, practical application, serious implications in our lives. So what I want to do with the remaining time here, I want to look at two other passages in Matthew that refer to Jesus as a son of David. There are a lot of them, but two that particularly can have some implications for our lives. And hopefully it's going to encourage you. Uh, maybe when you think about sermons on lordship, you just kind of feel kind of depressed and small and, and just uh, you're not quite sure what to do. Uh, hopefully today... You'll, you'll just be exalting in Christ as Lord, and, and maybe you need to overhaul your whole life. But most of you, like I said, will just be making some small adjustments. So let, let's turn back to the Christmas story. Can we do that? Go to the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1. Let's look at the Christmas story. Now remember, we're looking for some implications of his lordship. The book of Matthew, verse 1, amazing. Look how it starts. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And let's look at the next. The son of David. So who is the Christ? Well, he's the son of David. And what else we just learned? He's also the divine son of God. So what is going to happen here in the birth story? You've heard this story so many times. If you, you've grown up in church, you've heard this. But you're in a portion of the birth story. Joseph is told that Mary is pregnant, and he's very reluctant to take uh, her as his wife. And then an angel comes and clears up the whole mess. All right? Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, that's Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now check it out. For he will save his people from their sins. 
And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When you go to all the Christmas events and all the huge plays and you listen to all the songs and it seems really complicated, it's simple. Jesus came to save sinners from their sin. He's not just this descendant of David who's, who's just human, but he's the son of God. He's the great God-man who came to save us from our sins through faith in him and his finished work on the cross. Let's boil Christmas down and keep it simple. Son of God came to save us from our sins. Through faith in him, we are forgiven, reconciled to God through his finished work on the cross, burial, and resurrection. But check it out. You know what this means? If you are a Christian, you have a new Lord. You are no longer in submission to sin. Sin has no more power over you. You do not have to submit to sin anymore as Lord. You've been freed, and now you submit to a new Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ calls you to holiness, but not in a way where he smacks you around when you mess up. Not in a way where he crushes you when you mess up. He calls you to holiness in a way where he expresses love to you, where he has unconditional love for you. You have faith in him, and you want to follow him, and you, and you mess up, and you get out of line, and you sin. But you know what? He keeps pursuing you in love. The Messiah loves his, those he's come to save. So do you pursue a life of holiness in a way where you're scared that God's going to get you if you get out of line? Or do you pursue holiness under the unconditional love of your Father? Let me put it to you this way. There's a book called Holiness by Grace by Brian Chappell. And in his book, he cites a study of the Department of Education of a particular state. And in this particular state, Department of Education has set up a, a remedial school program. Now, for those of you who maybe... Uh, I grew up in Texas, and remedial school programs are basically for all the kids who are on drugs or get drunk or just do crazy stuff, right? But this, this remedial school program was set up partially because kids who were underachieving academically. And they would put them in the program to hope to bring them up to par with the rest of the students. But in this state, it didn't work because the students who went into the program thought they, they, it, it labeled them as losers. And so they thought they were losers and they, they lived up to being a loser. And so the remedial program wasn't working. In fact, it wasn't working for any of the kids at all except for one girl. This one girl's name was Edie. And Edie was a track star. But she wasn't, you know, she was struggling at school. And so they put her into their remedial program, and after a while she got back on par with the rest of her students. And the, and the state uh, Department of Education focused in totally on this one girl. And they went to her teacher and they said, okay, what did you do with Edie that was differently that she didn't do with anybody else. And the teacher said, nothing. They're like, no, no, you had to do something. You must have used different books. Did you use different books? No. Did you use different curriculum? She's like, no. I'm like, come on. What did you do different with Edie? Because she, 
she, she got back up to par. What did you do? She's like, I don't know. She goes, okay. The only thing I did different with Edie that I didn't do with others is I, I went to her track meets and I cheered for her. And that was it. She just had someone who cheered for her. And then Brian Chappell says this. Let me quote this for you. Our God does not merely cheer for us. He died for us. He came to where we race against our own weaknesses in order to free us from our spiritual bondage. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us when we fail. Intercession is not quite like cheering, but it just as clearly shows that we have an unfaltering advocate. Would it change your view of lordship and holiness if I told you that God cheers for you? He's on your side. He's not against you. He's not smacking you around. He loves you. And if, if you believed in a God like that and you saw that you weren't submitting to him in major portions of your life, wouldn't you want to open yourself up and say, oh, God, do come in for the entire overhaul. You're doing that to a loving God. He loves you. And for those of us who need to make changes in our lives, make some alterations in our lives, make some adjustments, we can do that by God's grace, by his love, not because we have to feel guilty. Our God is, is there to encourage us to walk in holiness and adjustments can be made. Now, when we think about the lordship of Jesus, we tend to always just think about holiness issues. Where do we need to repent of sin and walk in his holiness? We, but do you ever think about compassion? If Jesus really is Lord, does that mean he's a God of compassion? Or could it mean he's a God of compassion? It could mean that, and I, and I think it does mean that, and we're going to see here in a second. But get this. If he is the Lord and he's a compassionate God, you can even come to him in your suffering. Have you ever thought about submitting to the Lord in your suffering? Have you ever thought about submitting to the Lordship of Christ when you're in pain? Let's look at our last story here of the Son of David. Let's turn in our Bibles one last time to Matthew 20. One last little passage about the Son of David, the Son of God, full of compassion. This is great. Matthew 20. Start in verse 29. Two blind men. They can see while the religious leaders are blind. Look at verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. There's a son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So Jesus on this earth, about 2,000 years ago, bam, healed people, had compassion and mercy, and just poured out grace. And you may think, well, he, he's compassionate then. Is he still compassionate today? 
And I would say he is. Let me put up a passage for you. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The same compassionate Jesus we read about in the Gospels is the same compassionate Jesus exalted the right hand of the Father, and he's the same Lord that will have compassion on your life right now. He knows what you're going through. He has been here. He'll have compassion on you physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. He is one who loves you and has compassion on you. And when you know that, in your pain, in your suffering, whatever you're dealing with, you can go to him. And sometimes we want to be all cool, especially as guys. We want to feel like we can just handle stuff on our own. We can just do what we can do on our own. We don't want to pray. We don't want to submit things to Jesus in our suffering. In fact, a lot of times, we don't even want to acknowledge that we're suffering. And Jesus says, I'm your Lord. Come to me as your Lord and submit to me in your suffering. I would say that in my life, not this past week, but the week before that was probably one of the most eventful weeks in my life and filled with a, a lot of interesting situations and situations full of a lot of suffering. It all started on, on a Sunday. Many of you may know, um, during that whole week, three of my kids were seriously in some serious situations that were terrible. And it started on that Sunday with my five-year-old. I'll just tell you about him. My five-year-old, maybe you know this, little boy, Roman, and he was running around in a house, and he smashed against the wall, and he started bleeding from his head, right? So I took him in the ER here in Evanston, and they just, you know, cut some of his hair away, and they glue his scalp back together. He's good to go, right? Great. Yeah? Okay. So he's doing good. The next day, I'm not kidding, the next day, my boy, five-year-old, little Roman, he's running around in a junior high after one of my daughter's uh, basketball games, and in between this doorway, there's this post And that little boy runs headlong right into the post. Yeah. This wasn't a minor injury this time. This was like everywhere. Disgusting. Take him back to the exact same ER. Like, did you save my room for me? (laughs) I didn't check out. (laughs) So go back to the same ER. 15 stitches. Drama, drama, drama. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? Help us. And two other situations I'm not going to talk about happened with my other kids that week. They were like, scare me to death. And in the middle of all of this, in the middle of all this, within about one mile of our home, a little baby boy was going through some hard times. Just a little, a little boy, six-month-old baby boy going through some hard times. And through a series of situations, the the state contacted us and said, would you take this little boy in? And so we took, he's he's in our home now, and we don't don't know what's going to happen to him next. We don't know what the next move is for him. We don't know how long he's going to stay with us, and we're we're temporarily functioning as his, his foster parents. But you know what? We're praying for God's compassion, mercy, salvation, in his life because our God cares about stuff like that 
I said, God, show your compassion right here, right now. And it makes you think, wow, you mean anything we're going through, we can go to God and he cares? He loves us? He can have compassion on us? Yeah, absolutely, because he's our Lord. He's reigning. He saved us from our sins and now he cares about us. So what we're going to do here when we do communion, we're going to have prayer and healing. That we're, you, know, you know how we do that. The elders are up. We want to pray for you. And sometimes uh, some of you say, I'm not going to go up there. It's too embarrassing. I don't want to do that. But, you know, feel free to come up today. Maybe this is the day you've got to come up and just share different things about what's going on in your life. Maybe some suffering. You need the Lord Jesus to intervene in your life. Before I leave, because I know some of you, I'm not going to see you for three weeks because you're not going to be here on Christmas Day. You're not going to be here on New Year's Day. You're going to show up sometime in January. So I'm not going to see you for three weeks. So allow me this one last moment to speak to you as your pastor. I love you. I just want to, I just want to, I want to speak into your life. Some of you, I get it. You need the entire life overhaul. You got to just go in for the full tear off. I get that. And some of you need to be having some traction toward adjustments where you need to submit to his lordship. And, and what this is going to happen, I, I, I know some of you, it's going to come in the form of New Year's resolutions. Nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. I'm not dogging New Year's resolutions. But a lot of you will make them and not keep them. It's okay. Might as well make them, just for fun. Make them, whether you keep them or not. But I'm going to try to give you a new perspective on New Year's resolutions, okay? Here it is. Rather than make this one huge, dramatic resolution where you're ripping off the whole roof, which some of you need to do, how about this year, rather than making one big resolution, you make 10,000 small ones. How about that? Rather than one big one, how about 10,000 small ones? This is what Paul Tripp says. Let me read this to you. He says, The character of a life is not set in two or three dramatic moments, but in 10,000 little moments. The character that was formed in those little moments is what shapes how you respond to the big moments of life. So here we go with your resolutions, 10,000 of them. So he says, what leads to significant personal change? All right, 10,000 resolutions. Number one, 10,000 moments of personal insight and conviction. Could you imagine walking with the Lord so close this year that you're going to be open every day in the mundane and say, okay, God, in this mundane time, in my commute to work, Show me some insight. Show me some conviction in my life on the daily mundane basis. Here's the next one. 10,000 moments of humble submission. So when God reveals something to you and you're like, oh, I'm convicted, you just humbly submit. Not one big dramatic time, but over and over and over again on a daily basis. Here's the next one. 10,000 moments of foolishness exposed and wisdom gained. 10,000 moments of sin confessed 
and sin forsaken. 10,000 moments of courageous faith. 10,000 choice points of obedience. 10,000 times of forsaking the kingdom of self and running toward the kingdom of God. 10,000 moments where we abandon worship of the creation and give ourselves to worship of the creator. And then he ends by saying, and what makes all this possible? Relentless, transforming, little moment grace. For some of you, you've got to go in for the entire overhaul. Just overturn your life. Give your life to the Lordship of Christ. For most of you, go in for those adjustments. Do not ignore it. And I'm telling you, that roof will keep on leaking, and it will get worse. You ignore situations in your life, they will come up and get you later. We want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus, not just in one huge dramatic moment, but in the 10,000 little moments of life. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to move today, especially as we take the Lord's Supper and reminded that we have received forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ, who has forgiven us and also reigns over us. And for who, there's, there, there, there's got to be, Lord, I just I feel like there's maybe one or two or three in here that really need the entire life overhaul. They really need to repent to your Lordship. Um, maybe for the first time, or maybe they've been distracted, maybe they've been away from Jesus for a while, but they need to go in for the entire overhaul and let you just have all of them. May you convict them right now. For the rest of us, Lord, where are the adjustments that are needed? What areas have we been ignoring? What areas are leaking in our life? What, what, where is it, Lord? Is it, with, is it marriage? Is it kids? Is it our health? Is it money? Is it at work? Lord, what, 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 where do the adjustments need to happen? Lord, reveal those to us. For those of us who are suffering, Lord, like empower us to move towards you, to fall into your arms of love and grace and compassion. And Lord, we just praise you that you are a gracious God who loves us. And you're cheering us on, filling us with your spirit, and loving us all the way. In Jesus' name, amen.